welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How's it going? Okay, well, we got to get some stuff out of the way. Absolutely. Uh, we wanted to, a big thanks to Paul Rust for coming on the show. Absolutely. That was a, it was a lot of fun talking with him. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, yeah, we hope to have him back. Um, and thanks to the Slash Film cast for having us on their show. Yeah. Big uh, thanks to them. Bi- yeah, <laughs> more on that later. Um, yeah, and specifically uh, Dave Chen. Uh, it was very nice of them to have us on their show. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully we can do it again. But, uh, yeah, it was just... Uh, <laughs> It turned out very well for us, David. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And on that, <coughs> excuse me. On that note, uh, a special welcome to any new listeners that we have who heard about us from uh, the Slash Filmcast uh, or on iTunes. You know what? I'm going to play this up because I'm excited. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, for you know, as we heard from me, uh, kind of complaining about it, we hadn't been on the iTunes Top Hundred for a while. Uh, then we were on the Slash Filmcast, and we rocketed to the top. And uh, the highest we've gone, <laughs> the highest we've gone is uh, number nine. Number nine, which wow. is uh, very exciting. It's in the top, top ten. ten. That's right. It's ninth. Yeah, in the top ten. I'm going to tell people that we were once in the top nine film cast <laughs> podcast, film TV podcasts, oh, because yeah. they'll, then they'll know exactly what number we were if yeah, I say we were right, in the top yes. nine. It's the, it's that Jimmy Pardo joke. Um, oh, okay. Now nah, I guess I won't do it then. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying you. You know, meant to do that. Right. But the good thing is, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not only are we that, you know, that high up in our bracket, we have spilled over into another bracket. Which is what? Uh, TV film podcasts all. Video and audio. Oh, and where were we on that? Like number mm-hmm. 60. Oh, how about that? I know. How about that? Pretty exciting. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Um... You know what else is exciting? What's that? Twitter. Tw- oh, okay. All right. Um, yes. Everyone's doing it, so now so am I. Ashton's doing it, so why not you? Really? I know, I know Shaq Twitters. <sighs> what can he be saying? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read it. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a crotchety old man, but I was kind of reluctant to do this, but it could be fun, right? Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I'll be Twittering. I, I, David, will be Twittering for the podcast. It's yeah. uh, uh, We're at uh, The Pretension. Yeah. Because everything else is either too long or already taken. But yeah. it kind of works. The Pretension. Yeah. That would be the at name of our point, battleship. We, yeah, exactly. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yes. Amongst all the battleships, ours is specifically called Pretension. So, right. The Pretension. Right. The Pretension. On board The Pretension. Nice. Yeah. So uh, I'll be Twittering there at, at yeah. So that's uh, twitter.com slash the pretension. I'd imagine so. Is that how that works? I don't know. <laughs> I know so little about Twitter. Is that how that works, Jen? <laughs> Jenny yes. says yes. Jen says yes. Um, so, uh, okay. When did you start calling your wife Jen? Pretty early in the relationship. Okay. Because uh, she was I, Jenny when I met her. That's right. And that's she's right. still Jenny to she, me. She's right, Jenny? Jenny. Right? <laughs> she's Jenny to you. She's Jen to me. Okay. If I hear you shorten her name, I swear to God, I will punch you right in your face. Um, all right. So let's see. Um, but okay. So that's all the announcements out of the way, I think. We have two more. Oh, okay. Well, then let's... Yeah. Sooner or later, we're going to have to get to the podcasting. I'll podcast you. <laughs> I'll give you a podcast. <laughs> all right. So um, so we're, we're featuring uh, this other, you know, something else on the website. Um it is a uh, it's 
it's a different store. We we still have the the store with uh, T-shirts and other things that nobody cares about, but um, <laughs> but we also uh, have a movie store in which you can uh, purchase DVDs. Uh, it's basically we're we're going through Amazon, but it is uh, us specifically uh, not really the words not sponsor, but I'll use that sponsoring the store, which means if you were to purchase uh, these movies through our website and through the specific Battleship Pretension store, um, we will get a very small percentage of it. But uh, also, it's just uh, we've tried to limit you know, uh, the options of what you can buy to movies that we have talked about mm-hmm. and that we recommend. Um, and, of course, you know, uh, we'll be a- I'll, I will continue adding movies to it as I think of them because the- these were just kind of off the top of my head and that sort of thing. So, um, so I've gone through, and as far you know, I'd say probably about... Seventy to eighty percent of them, the price is very, very good. The rest, the, you know, the rest of them, it's like, oh, that's more than I thought it would be. <laughs> so, uh, and you'll be able to tell which ones those are. But I was actually very pleasantly surprised because um, I only on Amazon, I've only ever purchased things like used. Me too. Um, and I was actually surprised in many cases how inexpensive the the the, the new prices. So, so yeah, you can go to battleshipretention.com, click on store and then just follow the links and uh, see what we've got and uh, yeah, slowly but surely we want to try and make you dependent on us <laughs> for everything. So, this is just one more step towards that. Um, <clears throat> lastly though. Okay. This is going to be a long one, David. Oh, Jesus. All right. So, uh, okay. David and I, for the last however many months, have been making uh, kind of some jokes about uh, our about our donate button. Right. Okay. So here's the deal. Um, there are some things that we that we want to do with the podcast. Uh, some publicity related things. Some advertising related things. And some equipment related things. And some equipment related things. Yes. And so. Um, of course, all that costs money, and we don't have any money. <laughs> and so we are going to, for the next, uh, I would say, two to three weeks, okay. we are going to have a donation drive. Okay? Uh, you can always donate after that, by the way. But uh, So we'll be bringing this up for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and here's what I'll say. We've been very reluctant to put a specific number on this, but I realized that if I was listening to a podcast that I enjoyed and they said, hey, we need donations, you know, and they said, like, we need a donation of such and such, you know, if it's out of my price range, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's what I'm going to say. Do not. Okay. We, if you, if everybody who subscribed, uh-huh. I'm sorry for laying this on thick, everybody, but this is, you know, I'm trying to, you know, there's stuff we need to do. Um, if everybody who subscribed donated $5. Uh-huh. All right. If you want to go more, that's fine. But here's what I'll say. Don't go more than 10. All right. Just go with what's easy and what you can afford. All mm-hmm. right. I don't want to ask anybody to do anything outlandish or anything. But yes, if everybody who subscribed donated $5 within the next few, within the next two to three weeks, we would be, you know, we'd be able to do all the things we need to do. And, and I'll, I'll put a face on it a little bit. You know, in some cases, it's just simple things like postcards, just putting together battleship pretension postcards that we can put at businesses. In other cases, it's, you know, uh, posters and printing out like press kits and stuff because there are some things that we need to do. I'd like a new mic. 
David would like a new mic, for example. We need mic screens, as those who hear us say <laughs> peas undoubtedly know. Um, so it's stuff like that, along with some other things, you know, like uh, internet advertising and, and you know, uh, various Google-related things. So, um, so that's what we would basically be, you know, putting the money into. Uh, so I will repeat once again. Everybody who subscribed, if you are a subscriber... Just donate five dollars. You can go to the website. What if they're not a subscriber? If you listen and have listened for a long time, because if they're a subscriber, chances are they they've been listening for a while. They're okay. they're willing to commit. Okay. All right. But also, I know the specific number of subscribers we have. Okay. I don't know the number of the listeners, so I can put it. So in my own head, I know what this means. <laughs> so, but if you've been if you've been a long time listener and you're not a subscriber, hey, you know what? You can join in too. Uh, there are no there are no caveats. Anyone who's Absolutely. listening to this right now is allowed to give us money. Absolutely encouraged, in fact. <laughs> yeah. um, so you just click on the PayPal button on the homepage. Uh, you don't need to actually have a PayPal account; just uh, a debit or credit card. Uh, just enter that in. And uh, and if you if you're somebody who has don- donated already, thank you very much. You, you don't have to take part in this. It's fine. You you've helped, okay. us. You've helped us enough. So, <laughs> you, uh, you, if you want st- to stop giving them reason not to, <laughs> you know what? You're right. I'm sorry, everybody. So, what are they? What are they? Is is there like a raffle or something? What, what is there any benefit to? Uh, we'll talk about that next week, David. Next week, right we'll talk now, about that. Okay, it's just uh, just this. So, <laughs> okay, I want you know I want to keep people coming back. We should have so. talked about this beforehand. I think. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's kind of what happens in a pledge drive. Is that's true? There's some sort of incentive. That's true. Uh, yeah, we didn't work that out. Um, okay. Would you like to stop, go back, and re-record this? <laughs> no. Okay. We'll talk about it next week. Indeed. All but right. there will be something. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that's the uh, so that's the deal. I'm sorry for laying it on so thick, but this is uh, that's the deal. So, thank you for your thank you in advance for your support, <laughs> David. You got something to say? It looks like. Oh, we can actually start the show now. Sorry. Um, it's you know we took, uh, I mean, I, we took a, we we you and I took a week off last right. week because we had recorded Paul's episode beforehand, and it seems like every time we do that we miss something. Yeah, like last time we we were behind on the Christian Bale thing. Yeah. Um. Now we missed uh, the death of B. Arthur. Yeah. Uh, which made me really sad. Although it's, I mean, not something that we didn't see coming. She's yeah. She's up there in age, you know, but uh. Uh, I, I was a big fan of B. Arthur. I was as well. She, uh, you know, she kind of, for a lot of people, she was kind of a, not a punchline, but like kind of a, a humorous reference point. Mm-hmm. But, and I haven't seen Golden Girls in years, but she was always really funny on that. Like she yeah. just, she had a very, she had a weird kind of stardom. I kind of wish that we had Paul Goebel here for this because I've, I haven't seen episode one of Maud, but yeah. just... You know, she's she wasn't very attractive. She had a very gruff voice, um, and she was, and she was older. Like even when she was a, when even when Maude came along, she was middle aged. Like she just she didn't she wasn't a huge when she was a huge star. It was when people usually usually aren't. You, mm-hmm. People are usually like in their early thirties or something when they get you know a, sit, a sitcom all their own, and so and she just she just was so good at delivering like sarcasm like obvious jokes in the golden girls were made in which she's talking to like betty white or something like Mm -hmm. that were made funny by her delivery yeah um 
And she's also very game, which I like because she did a voice uh, on Futurama, mm-hmm. and it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I don't remember what this is on, but on a commentary track for Futurama, uh, Billy West told a story about how he did something. He did a voice for some other cartoon. He does a million of them, and she was a vo- and she was a voice on that. Uh, and they were playing uh, like insects, and she was B. Arthur, <laughs> but it was an actual B. Like how ridiculous! You know, <clears throat> by the time she was doing that, she must have been in her seventies, but she still got it. Like, I, 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 I've said it before that I love when like an older performer just gets the joke and is willing to do it. Uh-huh. You know, and so, and then she showed up on the. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, the roast, the Pamela Anderson roast. I think I saw that. Where all she did was just read passages out of uh, the books that Pamela Anderson has written <laughs> and got tremendous laugh and just read it like she wasn't laughing, just read it like with a complete straight face. Just play- it, was, it was hilarious. It was one of the funniest things in there. And just she had good comic instincts. And yeah, it was I, really, I was really quite sad when B. Arthur died. Yeah, me too. You bring up a good thing with the the age thing because so many people who are funny stop being funny when they get older, and yeah. it's not a fact. It's not. It's not a uh, a result of their just being older. It's a. Fa- it's a. I want. I keep saying facet, okay. but I, I want result. Okay, it's it's a result of them being successful. Yeah, and essentially losing touch. You know, I, yeah. I, th- I think that's what I think that's what certainly what's happened to Steve Martin or Robin Williams or yeah. Eddie Murphy, people who were once funny and are not really anymore. Yeah, I mean, um, like if you if you lo- if you look at like Robin Williams, I mean, he's still making the same jokes and kind of the doing same the references, same references, same off the cuff characters, and it's like, well, you know, fifteen twenty years ago, that was probably very cutting edge and very very random, but now yeah, it just seems like longer. Oh, we can't do anything else. But uh, yeah, but I mean, B. Arthur proved that if you have if you have the wit and the desire to be funny mm-hmm. uh and and you don't lose that just because you're you have some success right uh then there's there's no reason that an older person can't be funny absolutely yeah it uh yeah it really i mean i'm not i'm not even really sure aside from just her being a, a really great performer i just for some reason it just really saddened me it, possibly because She's like I grew up, you know, and my mom watched the Golden Girls and I would like watch it with her. No, I watched the Golden Girls when my mom was watching it or not. I liked it. I loved that show when I was young and I, I still think it's actually I think it holds up. It's yeah, pretty funny. And it's and it's just like and so all of them were people that like I kind of grew up with. And so it's like, oh, and now, you know, Estelle Getty's gone and and B. Arthur's now gone. Uh Rue McClanahan's not looking too good these days. Betty White has not changed at all, as far as I can tell. So she'll probably be around for a while. She's probably like the—I think she's the George Burns, like the Lady George Burns. She's going to be around. She's going to be like 105. But, um, but yeah, it, it kind of it's like oh, I guess as as melodramatic as this sounds, it's like oh, it's kind of the end of a kind of the end of an era. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's. Uh- I think the reason I felt so sad is not just because just because I was a fan of hers, right. but just because uh, I'm afraid that she's not going to be remembered properly because she was famous in TV, yeah, and, and this is especially at a time before when TV was a more 
uh, ephemeral type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though now you can get mod on DVD, it's not uh, – TV from that era sort of – it it came and went, you know, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't stick in people's minds uh, the, w- the way that new TV shows can because they're – they saturate they don't just show for yeah. an hour and then disappear they're all over the place and and uh she you know she wasn't like uh showing up in you know adam sandler movies or right, doing right. anything like that she was she stayed classy funny yeah, uh I and mean, it's i'm just i'm just worried that people uh, younger generations uh, and even i think a lot of people in our generation don't appreciate how funny she was yeah i i feel like I, I really do feel like maybe only people who really like love TV and are willing to like research and be kind of almost TV nerds. Mm-hmm. I feel like only they will really understand the importance that she played and like in the in the history of like female leads. I mean, yeah. she's right up there, you know. Um, and yeah, it's just you know it's 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 just going to happen. But the people who I think that she will never be completely forgotten or anything like that. I mean, to the people whose opinion, in my view, the people whose opinion actually matters, <laughs> I think she'll be remembered. That's good. But that's a little mean on my part. Okay. So. Um, the other thing that happened that we missed last week, didn't get to talk about, well, this is a much smaller thing, okay. is uh, Henry Ian Cusick, the actor who plays Desmond yep. on Lost, is being sued for sexual harassment. I didn't see that. Which makes me... Uh, it's all alleged, so yeah. I'm not going to... But uh, if it's true, it makes me very sad. Because yeah. Desmond's my favorite character. And apparently, allegedly, he behaves like a creep. That's That does make me... Because the character is so pure. And <laughs> he's such a good guy. Yeah. That... Uh, Oh, that's unfortunate. He's kind of a good guy, but he does have a history of uh, running away from women when the that's relationship true, gets when serious. You know, chips are down. He's he's learned his lesson and he uh, embraces responsibility now. Oh, why'd you have to bring that up, David? I didn't <laughs> know that, and I was happier for it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you he, know specifically, like? What the charge? Like what the charge was? Like who was filing it? Like it's uh, a woman who worked for ABC and had worked there for about ten years. It happened about a year and a half ago, apparently. Okay. Um, and she's alleging that he, uh, like, I don't know, he touched her and ah, stuff. Um, and then she's alleging that she, when she complained about it, she was fired from ABC. Oh, seems to me like uh, she should take it up with. Uh, she should sue somebody bigger than just him. She probably is. Okay. But, but the the story is... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to mention that and that that sucks. Yeah. Because I like Desmond. He's the reason that I tend to call people brother. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit that. I got that from Desmond. Nice. <laughs> but do you, you don't say it the way he does. No, I don't, I don't, I don't have an accent. Okay. That would, be, that would be a little too affected if I started calling people brother. There you go. <laughs> And the accent only comes about when you say that one word. <laughs> yeah. Even when re- making reference to your brother. Um, <clears throat> anyway, well, thanks for uh, thanks for bumming me out there, David. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, would you like? Oh, we've been talking for a while. So, do you want to get into the? Let's get topic? into it, shall we? All right. So, um, in the spe- I, I I love transitions. So, uh-huh. in the spirit of last week, when we were talking about Steven Spielberg, um, the other day. Uh, Jen and I were watching uh, Jurassic Park for some reason. Uh, it's something that we we pop in on a regular basis, and uh, and I have <coughs> I have a VHS copy 
of the Lost World. Do you, have the, do you have the first one on DVD? Yes. I'm going to borrow that from you. Absolutely. Go I haven't right seen ahead. it in a minute. What? I said I haven't seen it in a minute. What is it? What? What does that mean? <laughs> oh, you're so old and out of touch, Tyler. That's the way we talk now. Who? Who is we? <laughs> you're my age. <laughs> I'm younger than you are. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, you're still 26. Jerk. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I have a, a VHS copy of The Lost World, and... I don't know if I'm going to switch that one over to DVD, but once we watched <laughs> Jurassic Park, both of us were like, kind of want to watch The Lost World, even though we both know that it's not that good. Incidentally, after a while, Jurassic Park is not that great. There really? are great moments in it, but like there are, there are clunky bits of expositional dialogue and really, it's... It's kind of unfortunate, but but it, there's still there's that part where that guy says "clever girl," which is the best part in the movie. You think that's the best part in the movie? Yes. Okay. It's my favorite part. All right. Not just that line, but that sequence. The, yeah, it's a good sequence. Although yeah. I like that character. Oh yeah. So I, did I, I say anything to no? Imply that but I, didn't I feel like sad him? that he died. So I, I can't. Re- you know, I don't I like see. it. I see. Because it's not. You know, I don't enjoy that. What's your favorite part of the movie? I don't know. I was thinking. <laughs> and uh I have to say probably when the uh you know when the T-Rex is is coming through the the fence and all mm-hmm. that cuz uh it really it looks really good and it looks really real and just the the way he just demolishes the cars and stuff like that and although it although it also bothers me that the humans make so many dumb mistakes, but that's that's all right. Yeah. So, well, when you got to like go, you got to go. Absolutely. I hate what they do to that character. Okay, anyway. Um, we're not talking about Jurassic Park. I didn't mean to rag on that. I was going to talk about The Lost World, okay? And the thing is, we talked about Spielberg last week, so I'm transitioning into the topic this week, which is when great, I would say great directors, make really, really bad films. Uh-huh. And I'm starting with The Lost World, because here's what I'm going to do. I'm not even going to talk about... The stuff that happens when they're on the island in, in Lost World, all right? Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of fun little sequences there. That freaking gymnastics scene could probably go. But, yeah. And, and, and if you've, like, when, whenever you see the movie, you kind of forget where it is, and then, it, then it, you, you know it's coming up, and you're like, oh, right. <laughs> but the movie has some very legitimate uh, scares and some very thrilling moments. And then it moves to San Diego. And then I think I think I once heard a uh, friend of the show, Matt Belknap, say this, that it's almost like an entirely other director showed up and directed that like a second unit director uh-huh. said, OK, we're all moving to San- we're moving this to San Diego. And then it just turns into almost a different movie. And <clears throat> because the T-Rex is, you know, walking along and he eats a dog and then he scares people like so much of it is played for comedy instead of actual like horror, you know, like a. A car- like an innocent guy running down the street is killed and eaten and it's played for comedy and then all that you know what I'm, I'm ahead of myself because the big boat crashes into the dock and then mm-hmm. you see that you know you, you know it looks like there's no crew around you know and so you get so they go up into the into the wheelhouse and uh, and one guy's like, "Where's the crew?" And the other guy looks like he's about to throw up, and he's like, "It's all they're all over the place," implying that they've been splattered. How? Okay, there's only one dinosaur on that boat, and it's a T-Rex. <laughs> How did he get up there? <laughs> How did he kill those people? <laughs> all right. 
How did he manage to bite that? Because you see, like, the steering wheel, and there's a hand hanging off it, but it's just a hand. How did he do that? All right? So much of that bothers me. I'm willing to accept almost anything, but just, like, it's like, oh, I get it, because the T-Rex read the script and realized what needed to happen, and so he was able to do these things. So that bothers me, and then just the whole... He can't can't get into the the cabin there, those little arms? Exactly. Exactly. Maybe the Spinosaurus from Jurassic Park 3. Maybe. Because he has more narrow head and longer arms. I'm I'm being ridiculous. Now. I never saw Jurassic Park three. It has uh, like two moments. Yeah, it's not. That doesn't seem worth it that to me. It's not worth it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that moment bothers me so much. And then he's just you know uh, going through San Diego, and then he winds up killing Arliss Howard, or rather uh, crippling Arliss Howard, so that the baby T Rex can can eat him. Um, and that and that death is played for comedy and cheers like oh this guy who uh, wanted to make money for his company is dead, yay! And just it, so much. But of isn't that, that last... exactly how we feel about Paul Reiser and Aliens? It's different though because he actually like locks the door behind him, thus guaranteeing like he's selfish about it. Yeah, you know. Okay. Um, he's willing to. <laughs> he's okay with everyone else dying as long as he's uh, alive. You okay. know. And so. It's just that that last sequence, like Lost World's not that not that good in the first place, but that last sequence makes it almost irredeemable to me. Um, and the gymnastics sequence. How long is that le- the the San Diego part? In my memory, it's only like the last fifteen minutes. But does it's it go about on? fifteen twenty? Okay. So, um, and there's like little in jokes, like you see like three Japanese businessmen running away from it. And it's like, oh, like Godzilla, <laughs> I get it. Come on, Spielberg. What? Who are you? Like, when did this happen? Um, but he's made he's made he's a great director as, as we've as we've talked about. But he's made a handful of not good movies. Yes. So, um, but we talked about Spielberg already. But I wanted to use Lost World. That's the movie that inspired this topic for me. Um, so I just wanted to use that as a transition into uh, this topic. So, David, what do you got? Well, uh, in making my list, I realize it's a lot of. <laughs> Uh, a lot of movies that have come up on the show before because oh, okay. uh, well, I, I think we talked about um, the fact that I don't like and have never liked the birds. Or oh, did okay. we talk about that on, on the page? I think we talked about that uh, on on the page. Yes. Okay. Um, so we didn't talk about it uh, on this podcast. I yeah, the birds. I I can't stand that movie. I think it's it's really just <sighs> facile and uh, it doesn't. It, there's no, there's no. I'm going to repeat myself essentially, but there's no depth to it at all. It's, uh, it, it seems like a, it, it seems like a, like a cover version of a Hitchcock movie. Hmm. Um, I actually like the birds, and I like that there's no depth to it because I like the idea that there's no explanation, and that it's just a thing that's happening. Like that, mm-hmm. that to me makes it extra frightening. But there, but yeah, there are a lot of people who who don't like it. Um, I don't like the more gimmicky aspects of it because mm. Hitchcock could all, all often like sort of walk the line along being gimmicky yeah you know and like putting himself in all his movies like right. that sort of a thing but like there's too much in the birds yeah with the no score and uh there's certain things he does with the camera that are uh that he should have realized didn't work out work out and yeah I'm not gonna go into them but and then uh yeah and then the lack of explanation and everything it just seems too uh, it seems it, it seems smug that movie. Mm. It's it seems like he's like uh, I can get away with this. Alfred Hitchcock. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, that's that's how I feel about the birds. So uh, see, and I, I and that actually brings up like I feel like some of the movies that I might talk about, some people may actually love. They may not view them as bad movies at all. Because yeah. I like because well, I let's, let's take the birds. that let's take that uh, tack now. Okay. Let's let's stick with that uh, for now. Because okay. um, I also want to talk about which I know we've talked about in the show before. Neither one of us really likes a Clockwork Orange. That's true. Um, I have. I don't know how to word this because I have <clears throat> certain problems with Stanley Kubrick, just like I have certain problems with Robert Altman. But they're not really in in most aspects. They're not really filmmaking related problems. It's more thematic or mm. almost just in the attitude of the films. Yeah, I could see that. Um, uh, but most of the time with Kubrick uh, and with Altman. Um, the 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 better his better angels uh, persevere and yeah. overcome the other stuff. Clockwork Orange is uh, the uh, I can't talk today. That's a shame. It's, we're, record, it's, we're, we're recording a podcast. Uh, Clockwork Orange is the exception to that. Um, it's it's uh, it's also smug, but in, in a different way. It's. Uh, smug the way a teenager who thinks he knows everything already is smug. Absolutely, you know it's uh, it's it's nihilistic in like a posery way. Okay, uh, it's it's mean spirited, and not just that the characters are mean spirited, but the film itself is mean spirited, and that's my problem with it. Have you ever read the book? Yes. See, and I think the book has the right attitude. It mm-hmm. knows that it is smug from that kind of teenage point of view, because that's because it's told from the main character's point of view mm-hmm. and and then there's that you know the last uh, the last section which in some printings isn't there and it's not there in kubrick's film uh i've read it with the last section yes in which the character essentially it doesn't flash forward very long but it's it's just he kind of grows up a little bit or at least he he turns that corner where all of a sudden the things he thought were so important really aren't yeah and, and that's Without that twenty-first chapter, it's a completely different story. Right? He's uh, he's not. Sp- Alex is not supposed to be an anti-hero. Right. Which is what he is in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's he's supposed to be a a very dangerous kid uh, who learns something about himself. Yeah. But he doesn't learn anything in the movie, really. No, no, it's a complete, <laughs> yeah. The last line is, I was cured all right. Cause he's, and he's dreaming about raping again. <laughs> and it's just like, Oh, well then, uh, problem solved. <laughs> Wait, what? You know, uh, you know, and that's the thing I love. I love the movie when I was a teenager. Yeah. Because, you know, it's just partially because like, frankly, I hadn't really seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. And it was just so new to me. And then I got older and it's just like, I just can't deal with this anymore. Like, I, <laughs> there's so much stuff here that is not at all fun to watch or, you know, pleasant to think about. Um, not that I necessarily only go for movies that are fun to think about, but if they're going to... <clears throat> but they to, should have something redeeming about it. Yeah. Or they ha- they should have something to add to the conversation. <laughs> it doesn't really. No, so. yeah. It's just... Uh... It's a kid drawing an anarchy sign in his notebook in science class. Absolutely. <laughs> may not actually know what that officially means. <laughs> right. Not realizing that he's probably the first one to go <laughs> if uh, government collapsed. Um, yeah, because a bunch of bikers would probably rape him. Um, I don't know why I, why I went with, with bikers, but for some reason that's – it's always – 
you know, when I think of post-apocalyptic, it's always bikers. Motorcycles yeah. always seem to be doing just fine. But now you're you're betraying your more conservative ideology by just assuming that an anarchy would be uh, chaotic and, and post-apocalyptic. That's true. That's true. For all you know, uh, we're all, you know, from the liberal point of view, we're all going to hold hands without the, <laughs> and we're going to, you know, take turns milking the cows. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's true. and paving the roads ourselves and all these things that, that's that's what would happen if there were no government we wouldn't turn on one another <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely what are you crazy yeah no I've, I've i never read the book but i've seen the stand and i know that those people get killed by my people <laughs> so which which one you want to be david <laughs> um all right well i'm going to bring up uh let's see should I bring up one that is questionable, or should I bring well, up? I want to just... stick with this with okay, this sort ahead. of questioning movies that other people like. No, okay. you. All right. If you have um, something like that. Well, it's not on my list because I wasn't sure if we were going to go in this direction. But since we are, uh, and I've you know as you said, I've talked about this before, and that is uh, Death Proof by Tarantino. I think Tarantino is a brilliant filmmaker. You know, I love his first three. Kill Bill one and two have even grown on me a little bit. Two the, more than one. The, not the case with me. Yeah. It, I, I still can't. I think it might be. I still feel betrayed by the Kill Bill movies, and I can't get thing. over it. Have you seen Death Proof? No. That'll do it for you. You watch Death Proof, and you're like, well, at least these aren't this. You know? <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, <clears throat> Death Proof, it's just, I feel like, you know, as I look over my list, I feel like uh, one of the common denominators is uh, self-indulgence. In a, in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like uh, like Death Proof might actually be a little self-indulgent. I mean, it's just... First off, the whole Grindhouse project bothered me because it's trying to make me, you know, wistful for something that I'm too young to remember, first Well, that's off. not your fault. That's not my fault. I mean, I, I, mean I, I meant to say that's not his fault. It's not his fault either. But, they, they you know, they have the... the it's like, oh, here's a, here's a scene that's been cut out. And here's uh, you know, and here's a it's a grainy print. And it's like, well, nobody actually liked that. Only somebody like Tarantino, who fetishizes was, it. Yeah, yeah, like somebody who is kind of slumming a little bit. In at least, like some people went and saw Grindhouse movies because, like, this is the best thing ever. Tarantino knows good movies, you know, and he would go and he would have some kind of. Weird, as you kind of a, almost as you say, a fetishized, almost a nostalgic way of looking at it, and it's like if this was all you had, you may not actually like that the sex scene was spliced out. You mm-hmm. know, you may want, you may have actually wanted that. Like only somebody like Tarantino would would really love that aspect of it and be like, oh, isn't that endearing? Well, not really. I think people were probably uh, bothered by that. So there's that, and then just also the fact that in my view, he doesn't totally commit to the idea of making a gr- making a grindhouse movie because 25 to 30 minutes of dialogue no grindhouse audience is going to want to see that well i don't know we've had this argument before but i don't really have a leg to stand on not having seen the movie okay so i'm not going to go into it all right but just uh, just in general so there's a lot of things that i didn't like about it and i think it was just especially from him that's the thing is he is such a good filmmaker and he can make such brilliant movies i mean to me i mean jackie jackie brown is my favorite of his um because it just shows his great style and his great dialogue but it it comes with a lot of just a lot of maturity you know yeah and i think it's a function of the character it's actually my favorite too 
Yeah, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a great Los Angeles movie. It Jackie is. Brown. It is. And just so, yeah, it. Uh, so you look at that and then you see Kill Bill and you're like, oh, I don't like these. And then just Death Proof just continues with the Kill Bill thing where he's, you know, he's trying to pay homage to these kinds of films. But he also see he clearly thinks he's above it. And some would say, oh, he's trying to elevate it. No, nah, that, but that's not what he said he was doing. I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of I, I've, I have in some cases I have mixed emotions about it. In some cases, uh, I know what I clearly don't like. But well, just I don't in think general. he. Okay, I'm gonna have this argument anyway. Okay, I don't think he was trying to elevate it. I think there are good B movies and bad B movies. He was right. just trying to make one of the good ones. I'm sure there were plenty of like a gun, inf- like a gun shy, for example, is what you're talking about. Okay, gun shy, the old, uh, the old like B or C uh, level film noir. Um, gun not crazy? gun shy. I'm sorry, gun crazy. Gun, gun shy, shy is with is, Liam Neeson and Sandra yeah, Bullock, right? And Oliver Platt. Different film. Sorry, <laughs> gun crazy. Gun Thank crazy. you very much. Yeah, um, something like that is what you're talking about. Or like any of those mm-hmm. noir movies. You know, those are essentially B movies that uh, are really intelligent, and I'm sure those existed in the Grindhouse era too. It's not an area of my expertise cinematically, so right. I don't. I can't really point to a lot of examples. Right. But um. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think he was trying to elevate the genre. I don't think he was being condescending toward it. I think he was just trying to make one of the good ones and show that there were that good films could be made within these strictures. But I think it's also the way in which he does it because I don't think he that even I makes, can't speak to because right, I didn't like see I don't it. think he even makes a good one because he doesn't cre- you know in Gun Crazy like I care about these characters. I don't care about any of the characters in Death Proof. Like it's not I, I get you know what I I I spoke. I spoke too soon. Sorry. It's not necessarily about the the fact that he has 25 minutes of dialogue before any quote-unquote action happens. It's the kind of dialogue he has. It's it's just it's so inane. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with inane dialogue if you have interesting characters saying it. But they're not. You know, they're forgettable and they're they're forgettable people saying forgettable things, but we're supposed to kind of root for them. And it's yeah, it's just a uh, in my view, it's just a, a failed experiment, um, and it's something that, like, I, I'm I'm interested to see in Glorious Bastards because, although even the trailer, like the way Brad Pitt is talking, seems overly stylized to me, and I don't yeah. know. This is something uh, I don't know because we have a lot of new listeners, maybe who aren't familiar with uh, the, with you are like movie watching habits right, or tendencies. Right. So, and we haven't talked about this in a while. Uh, anyway, um, there are probably people who are listening who are uh, amazed that I didn't go see Grindhouse. Yeah, yeah. Because good or not, it's something that a film geek should want to see Yeah. Uh, traditionally. I don't have that gene. Um, yeah. My film geekiness is not communal at all. It's about me and what I like. <laughs> and I don't feel any pressure to see something opening weekend because I don't give a fuck. Uh, about yeah. being the first person to see it or talking about it with my friends the next day. Um, I have like two people that I talk about movies with. Tyler is one of them. And uh, uh, I have I have a different set of uh, standards as to whether or not I go see a movie. So uh, and I, I know there are lots of really like smart, knowledgeable film geeks who had to go see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when it came out. Yeah. Because they just had to. It's a... Spielberg movie, it's another part of the franchise. Or more recently, I, Wolverine. 
Sure, yeah. I read the reviews and I said, oh, that's not for me. So I didn't go see it. Yeah. So uh, I just want to make that clear that that's uh, – that's, uh, I, I just don't want anybody – I'm preemptively like stopping anyone questioning my film nerdiness because I didn't go see Grindhouse. And, uh, but, and now I feel like saying I'm not, I'm not too much of a film nerd. I saw Grindhouse at a cheap theater. Yeah. I, if I do see something opening weekend, it's because it's something that interests me. Right. And I don't feel any pressure to to be... It's like, oh, a water cooler conversation. What? I don't care. Just, yeah. you know, I like, oh, I so badly want to see, uh, you know, it, like it could be... Like I want to see... I, I, I desperately want to see the new, next Harry Potter on yeah. opening day. The only reason I want to see it opening day is because I want to see it as soon as possible. Yeah, and opening day is that day. Yeah. Um. It, so yeah, that's it's it's our, this attitude that we have towards movies makes us. I've often said there's, you know, there's there's a thin line between film snob and film geek. Yeah. And Battleship Attention tends to be a little more on the film snob side. And it's not to say anything against film geeks. I love those people. You yeah. know. Uh, I I love that they you know point out like kung fu movies that i never would have seen right, to right. me you know i i wouldn't have known how to how to appreciate the shaw brothers if it weren't for film geeks yeah because it doesn't show up on film stops radar all the time so i like film geeks we just tend to be more film snobs so i just wanted to and if you're coming it, if you're coming to us from slash filmcast you probably got that <laughs> um that we're a little a little snobbish but uh, but that's true because i you know i mentioned gun crazy i'm fairly certain that that Film would not have been rediscovered if not for film geeks. Yeah, you know they go out like there that. in the in the trenches and they Absolutely. take stuff that is ostensibly terrible and yeah. they show us what's good about it. And so, then we take it and act like we knew about it the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So my hat is off to film geeks. <laughs> Just wanted to define the show for all the new listeners. Indeed. Okay, that's a good call, David. Um, all right. Well, I was just talking about Death Proof, so I'll let you uh, take the next one. Um. I, I, there's a – well, I wanted to talk about Tim Burton, but I'm not sure because mostly we've been talking about like a bad film by good filmmakers, but he's been making bad films I, yeah, for I mean, a while now. There's, he's, he's happened to make movies that I, that I like. You uh-huh. know? Um, I like Sweeney but, Todd. I like Mars Attacks. I like Batman and Batman Returns. But yeah, I like Mars Attacks and uh, – but it feels like a Tim Burton film. Like, if you see, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is very whimsical and it's bringing a lot of Tim Burton-ness to it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's missing something essential, you know? This yeah. is not the mind that brought us Pee-wee's Big Adventure and right. the Batman movies, you know? it's It has that... It has the the shadow of that aesthetic left, but it seems like he seems like what I was talking about earlier with comics who get out of touch. I think Tim Burton sort of uh, he knows what his tricks are, and he's sort of lost the ability to make. I think he knows. Here's what happened, or what I what I think may, may have happened is that you know he made Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Edward, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, like movies that. You can tell, like, oh, I just loved him. He loved making Edward Scissorhands. He loved yeah. making Beetlejuice. Now, although I did like Sweeney Todd. Some people don't, but I, I, I like it. But I'd say this actually fits into this. Now I feel like he's doing what people expect of him. Mm-hmm. Of course he's the one that makes Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Of course he's making Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Of course. If anybody, well, of course he's the one that makes Sweeney Todd. Like It's just 
he's he has a very specific niche that can that I can't think of really too many other people could fit could fill that. And I feel like at this point he's just he may have always loved he seems like the type that would have loved Roald Dahl and Lewis Carroll and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I feel like he's doing it because, yeah, this is what I do. Yeah. I guess I'll just do this now. But I want to talk for a second about Big Fish because a lot of people really don't like that movie. I don't care for it. And I didn't love it, but I liked it. And uh, a part of the reason I liked it is because it has a lot of Tim Burtonness in it, mm-hmm. but it's still – it's it's a different kind of story than you'd expect him to tell. That's true. Um, and I think and I like that he brings his sensibility to – uh, a weirder thing. That's something that like, like Danny Boyle is very good at having like a specific, not not very specific, but a sort of defined aesthetic, yeah. and then applying it to all sorts of different types of stories that you wouldn't expect. You know, you wouldn't expect the guy who did Train Spotting to do a Lifeless Ordinary, and then to do The Beach, and then to do right. Twenty Eight Days Later. Like it's a weird, it's a weird left turn every time he makes a new movie. Yeah, and that's what Big Fish sort of felt like to me. Hmm. Not, the, not that it was completely successful, and it wasn't as good as a, any Danny, Boy, Danny Boyle film. Right. But um, well, that's, that's, that's just in defense of Big Fish. That's what I wanted to say. Well, and that, and that uh, fits very well into the subcategory of, you know, you thinking a movie is good that other people may not, you know, because I'm not a big fan of, of Big Fish. But uh, you're right. I mean, it it certainly is different than some of his other films. I mean, going with, you know, kind of referencing what i said a moment ago nothing about that story seems like he would be the one to direct it but Uh he is you know and so it makes you wonder if there's something in the story that appealed to him or just yeah it it certainly felt like he was putting more it it felt less perfunctory than uh than charlie and the chocolate factory um so i'll i'll go next with uh you know and at this point he could go either way. You could call him a good filmmaker who made bad film, who's made bad films, or a bad filmmaker who had a couple of flukes. Uh-huh. And that's uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, who, I I actually didn't put him on the list because I couldn't decide either. And that's the thing is, you know, he had Sixth Sense, of course, and then he had Unbreakable and Signs. And I know some people that don't like Signs. I know some people that don't like Unbreakable. I didn't like Unbreakable that much, and it has grown on me. Um, I have not seen it since I saw it in the theater. Uh, uh, I kind of want to revisit I, it. Actually. Oh, really? But the more I think about it and the more I've learned about screenwriting and, and just uh, – and just my mind keeps returning to that film, I find. Hmm. And I just really enjoy a lot of the uh, elements of it. Um, but then – there's the village, which I actually like more than some, but it's, you know, that's one where it has deteriorated in my mind since seeing it. Um, and then I saw, I didn't see the happening. Did you? No. Okay. But I did see lady in the water. So did I. And that one, it's just like, I mean the village, like I could see the village coming along after signs like, okay, I, uh-huh. I believe it. You know, it's, it, it's got that kind of vibe to it and that kind of, you know, it's misguided in a lot of ways and there's some story elements that are, that are trouble. And then lady in the water comes along and it's just like, it's like. A swimming pool. And with The Village, I feel like he was kind of wading into the bad movie water. Lady in the Water comes along and he just jumps right in head first. I, I have a different take on it because uh, The Village uh, was a really bad movie and it seemed like it took him by surprise. That it, uh, not that, I mean, The Village made a lot of money, but not nearly as much money as right. he'd been known right. for making. Um, and then he made Lady in the Water, which... Seems like a movie that was written by a crazy person who has not left his like <laughs> cabin in <laughs> in a year, and that's I think that's kind of mentally what he did. He like shut shut 
shut himself in and made this it's insane that movie Lady in the Water is a crazy movie here's the thing and that's why I actually like it more than The Village I don't think it's very good <laughs> but I would watch Lady in the Water again yeah. any day because imagine it's ridiculous that, imagine that uh, Tom Hanks character in Castaway started coming up with a story to keep himself from going insane you've got Lady in the Water it's uh <laughs> yeah but uh you know, on that level, it does. Yeah, it does feel kind of personal. And you, and if you know the story behind it, you know that it was a story he told his kids. Then it's like, okay, well, his heart is certainly in it, uh-huh. and you have to, you know, you have to sort of respect the balls out craziness of it. But uh, but just in general, uh, I, just, you know, and I like I like the performances in Leading the Water a lot more than the Village. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, obviously the Adrian Brody thing in the Village is just like tough mm-hmm. to even look at. Yeah. Uh, but you get really like. Uh, idiosyncratic performances that are a lot of fun, I think, in Lady in the Water with, like, Freddy Rodriguez yeah. uh, and uh, Bill Irwin has, like, that one scene oh, yeah. uh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, you, I, I think it's... I, I, I prefer Lady in the Water to The Village because it's just more fun to watch. I did not have any fun watching it. <laughs> um, maybe for the first, you know, first half hour before it just started, before the layers... Game, <laughs> the layers of crazy, um, but that wasn't fun for you. Just like, like it's. Ju- I mean, it's. Are fun. you serious? Like you didn't have that reaction? <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, it's fun to speculate that like, w- what must the studio have been thinking as they were getting this script, and they're just like, what are we going to do about M Night? <laughs> like something needs to be done. Well, the studio got rid of him, and that's then he right, went to right. he made it for for Disney, right? Well, some studio had to, uh, yeah. So they got rid of him, but then, but then somebody embraced it. That's yeah. that's what fascinates me. Uh, but then, and then I, I haven't seen the happening, but I've heard it's absolutely just uh, atrocious. Um, and so I think he actually at this point, I think goodwill is done for him. I think I think <laughs> at this point, people will now think of him as you know, because Sixth Sense that's ten years ago now, you mm-hmm. know. So I think there's there's like an entire generation of movie fans. Who've never known him to be a good filmmaker? Yeah, you know, which is kind of strange to think about. Yeah, for example, and I haven't talked to him about this, but like my brother-in-law, he was born in 1990, so he was nine when Sixth Sense came out. Uh-huh. So, like, as far, you know, as far as he's concerned, or somebody his age, it's like this happening movie's awful. Who who is this guy? <laughs> Why? Yeah, you know, yeah. he's the he's the Uwe Boll uh, of that generation. Um. Did you hear the uh, the lost April Fool's joke that hmm. they they announced on April first that the finale of the season was going to be directed by M Night Shyamalan <laughs> <laughs> and he was gonna uh, it was gonna be in three D. <laughs> 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 yeah. Hey, you know, if he didn't write it, I think he'd be a great director. That's for what that I've show. I've said that I'm sure I've said it on the show before that M Night Shyamalan really needs to try his hand directing something that someone else wrote. And I wonder if if he would ever be open to that. Like, I'm sure a studio, because a lot of people have said that, myself included. And you have to imagine that a, that somebody at a studio said that once. And I wonder if he would even entertain the notion of you know where it's like, no, I only direct my own stuff. Like, I could see him being the type that yeah. would insist on that. Well, speaking of that type, okay, uh, let's move on to Woody Allen. Okay, because um, he, I don't think he's a guy who's lost it. Right. Um, he certainly. He, he's. Uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. Uh, he's like 
<clears throat> like imagine a pendulum, right? At okay. the beginning of his career, he was at the top of the rope, you know, okay. sort of not moving very far in either direction. Oh, nice. And as he's aged, he's gone further down to where yeah. he like just swings wildly from, you know, from Sweet and Low Down to Hollywood Ending, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, Hollywood Ending is, to me, the... I didn't see Scoop, um, but Hollywood Ending is, I think, the worst film that he's made. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see that one, nor did I see Scoop. The worst, and I think I think you've actually seen more of his films than I have. But uh, uh, I think the worst film of his that I've seen is um, *Curse of the Jade Scorpion*, which still has it has moments. It has moments. It's a clue. <laughs> I love that part, <laughs> and that will make sense to nobody. And in fact, people that have seen it may not be like, "Why is that? Wait, why is that funny?" <laughs> it's yeah. There's there's a line reading in that movie that's really funny. But, but I mean, um, *Curse of the Jade Scorpion* is like. Uh, as 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 dumb as it is, it's it's gorgeous. It's beautifully shot. Yeah, it's an amazing looking movie. Hollywood ending is just a, a mess. And I didn't see. I heard it was really great. I haven't seen Vicky Cristina Barcelona though. Yeah, I've heard good things too. But uh, and he's and I will he, see that eventually. It's not like a grindhouse thing. It's just I'm gonna see it. Yeah, I, I got other shit to get to. He's fascinating in that. Like I'm really just, defensive today. Yeah, calm down, David. <laughs> no one's coming at you. Um. <laughs> But, like, he is fascinating in the sense that he can make, like, because when he swings, he can swing in one year. Uh-huh. I know that some people didn't like Match Point, but it's uh, I'm, I'm among them. I didn't like it. Right. But. but it certainly is different, and it's certainly better than some of the other things yeah. that he was doing. Um, you know, and then he, and then it's like, hey, all right. Like, because a lot of critics liked Match Point, and, and I think he was up for a uh, screenplay for that. And so it's like, all right, I'm back on top. Time for this scoop movie. And then Cassandra's Dream, which I didn't see. Some people liked it. Um, and then it's like, oh, uh, we don't really like Woody anymore. Hey, what's this Vicky Christina? Hey, let's give mm-hmm. it an Oscar. You yeah. Know? Um, so he's he's somebody who I, I definitely think he fits into the category of a great filmmaker who just on a regular basis makes bad movies. Yeah. Um, but that's what's going to happen when you make a movie pretty much every year. Mm-hmm. So... Um, <clears throat> So I will bring up, um, I'll bring up a movie that hasn't really been talked about very much, uh, nor should it. Uh, it's called Q and A, directed okay. by Sidney Lumet. Okay. And you know, uh, I love Sidney Lumet. Uh, I think he's somebody who, um, I think he's uh, this. You know what? That, that this is what I was about to say is a little rough. I was about to say that he's only as good as the script he's working with, and I don't think that's true. I think he can bring great things out of maybe only a so-so script uh find me guilty being a good example but there's a movie that came out in the late 80s with a with a really good cast it had nick nolte timothy hutton uh armando sante back when he was somebody um and it was called q a and it's a cop movie and and it deals with some racial issues as well and there are aspects of it that are really interesting nick nolte is doing is playing a really odd character who he's you know he put on weight for it he grew a big mustache he just you know he's very gruff and he's like this corrupt cop who might be gay you know Mm -hmm. um and it's just but it's just it winds up just being a total mess and just it's not organized well at all and it's just you know it's it's and it's for the most part a bad script and and i feel like Sidney Lumet, along with uh, filmmakers like Clint Eastwood, he's somebody who, you know, because Lumet, he came out of the the theater 
And in the theater, you know, the script is everything. You don't mess with it. And so I, I feel like uh, he just didn't mess with the script and tried to do his best. But it just – he should have messed with that script because it's, <laughs> it's not that good. That and <laughs> it also has quite possibly – I think it was up for a Razzie or may have won uh, for Worst Song. And it, it, it does have one of the worst original songs I've ever heard in my life, ever in my life. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's written by uh, an actor actually, uh, Ruben Blades. Uh-huh. Ruben Blades, but it's as not, I like to call him. But it's not. That's not what it is. When I it. when I found out that it was not pronounced that way, I was so sad. You should be. <laughs> as, as You know what? He should just be like, you know what? Call me Ruben Blades because it <laughs> makes me so much cooler. Um, but uh, so he came up with a song. Even the title is bad. The song is called Don't Double Cross the Ones You Love. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awful? And imagine the song behind it's it. It's really insightful, though. You know it's what? probably hey, not something you should do. I, I can't disagree with the with the uh, <laughs> you know with the message behind it, but um, but Q and A, it's just it's weird because it does have a really good performance by Nick Nolte. But aside from that, I just it is one of the worst. I, like I remember, I was on a big Sydney Lumet kick, and I'm like, all oh, right, I, hey, what's this? Oh, look at this cast, and I watch it. It's like, oh, this is. This is a travesty. <laughs> so, well, uh, all right. Well, we're running low on minutes here. Yeah. Uh, so I want to I want to burn through some real quick that okay. have to be mentioned. Um, Gus Van Sant. Whether you want to talk about Psycho or Finding Forrester. Oh, um, the forgot about Finding Forrester. <laughs> yeah, isn't it weird that he did that? Yeah. It's it's really weird. Um, uh, David Lynch made Dune, of course, which even yeah. he has said is not good. So yeah. good for him. Um, the Coens have made some bad films. Yeah. Um, Ridley Scott has made uh, a number of bad films, most yeah. notably in my mind, Matchstick Men, yeah. uh, which I hate more than anything else. So I didn't stop see, me if, if you want to say anything. I didn't see a good year though. Yeah, I heard that wasn't good, yeah. but uh, I, did, I didn't see it either. Um, but there's a couple I want to mention. Um, <clears throat> I it, it didn't make my top ten back when it's been like forever since we did the top, our top ten movies of all time, right? That was like more than a year ago now. It was episode fifty two. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it didn't make my top 10, but if I were to expand my list the way that Tyler has a, an awesome long list, which I wish that I, I need to take, take the time to do so. But last Tango, last Tango in Paris would be a pretty high on my top 100. Um, and then he, you know, he made some other films that are also really good. Yeah. Um, he made the dreamers, um, last emperor. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm missing another one though. I'm missing an important one that I like. No, yeah. I can't remember what it is. I can't remember. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he also made Little Buddha with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Which I decided to give a shot to. Like, I remember when I kind of remember when it came out, even though I was I was still kind of young. Was it like 94 that it came out? 93, 94, right? Okay, so I was 11 or 12. Um, and I remember thinking that it looked dumb. Um, and then... Uh, once I got a little bit older and learned more about Bertolucci, I decided to give it a shot. And it's just as bad as a, a movie about Buddha where he's played by Keanu Reeves sounds. I said this. Okay. After you – okay. So on the Slash Filmcast, after you left, uh, uh-huh. during the, the After Dark portion, uh, we were discussing things that bothered us. And one of the things that bothered me – and I don't know if – I don't remember if I've said it on this podcast before – I have heard that Keanu Reeves is like the nicest guy in the world, and in the right role, he can be good. 
but there are very few right roles for him. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, everyone's just okay. Like, n- everyone agrees he can't act. Uh-huh. Like, there is nobody that is so dense. Like, I- I've known people of all ages, colors, creeds. <laughs> everyone agrees. Yeah, that Keanu Reeves. It's, it's like joke. It's like one of the few things that everyone can agree on. All right? But he just, but nobody, everyone just takes for granted the fact that he's going to continue to get acting roles. Nobody has a problem with it. Like, it's just, it's very, I mean, when, you know, when, uh, when Mike Schmidt was on talking about what he did to the role, because that's the thing, he doesn't play roles, he does things to the roles. All right? The role that he played in um, The Day the Earth Stood Still, that he actually played him more monotone than he plays anything, and just like, it's like somebody good could have had that role. <laughs> That's the thing. I think people approach it like, ah, he's harmless. I don't think he is because a good ro- a good actor could have had that role. Yeah. Ugh. But he's made movies that I like. Uh, he's in Point Break. He's in Matrix. He's in Constantine. These are movies that I like. Do you really think he was – okay. I've seen very little of Constantine. I know uh, that I own it, but I still haven't watched it. But I've seen a few scenes on like AMC. And uh-huh. in those scenes, he's awful. And he, do you mean to tell me a character like that – who there's a lot of density to him. Do you think a, another actor could have done way more with when that? When you say a character like that, are you talking about the character from the comics or the character in the movie? Uh, both. I mean, just... Because I think I... he's right for that script. Now, I'm not very uh, familiar with the... Uh, I can't really know the name of the comic now that Constantine's based on. Hellblazer? Hellblazer, that sounds yeah. right. Uh, I'm not very familiar with that, and I'm sure that if I were, I would be... Uh, appalled at the movie Constantine, be, but uh, I do think that he does the right job that that movie needs because that movie's not very deep at all. I know, but like the character, just in the couple of scenes that I have watched, like he he's supposed to be like kind of a kind of a smartass and kind of a cynic and just and world weary at the very uh-huh. least. And Keanu Reeves doesn't seem like any of that to me. He's just a blank slate, which is why he's he is good in The Matrix. He is good in Point Break. He's good in in movies where he's kind of this sounds Parenthood kind of confused. Yeah, kind of confused. <laughs> he's not bad in Something's Got to Give. Now that I think about it, but um, he's he's great in Parenthood. I, I, I haven't seen it in a long time. When he crashes the car, and then they come up to him, he takes his helmet off. He goes, "Did I win?" <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it's um, funny. But it's just, uh, and that's the thing is, I don't like you know. Aside from John Voight, like I, I feel bad even the things that I've said about Will Patton. So like I don't like I know a lot of actors, and I don't like to bash actors because there's going to be somebody who's like, ah, that Robert Duvall is not good. I mean, it's all a matter of taste. But yeah, Keanu Reeves just, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated that everybody just has chosen to just bury their heads in the sand about this. But you know. You're right, but at the same time, if Keanu Reeves were to stop being in movies, I would be a little upset because there are occasionally movies that I like him in, and then there are occasionally movies that I'm like, "What the fuck is he doing?" And much ado about nothing. I've got to see that now. Yeah, and Brent. Also, did I ever tell you that this will actually lead me into something? Um, well, first, I want to say that uh, I've obviously never met Keanu Reeves, but it's right what you say. Everyone I know who has met him, and everyone, everything I've read about him, is that he's a really, really great guy. Yeah, and I have, I have no doubt of that. And like I and said, that, maybe right that has role, something to do with it. In the right role, he can be, he can be really good. I can't, I can't imagine, and don't want to imagine anybody else playing Neo. He did a very good job with that. That said, you've seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? <laughs> okay, so. I don't know if this was Francis Ford Coppola, like, covering for himself later on, but, like, 
in subsequent after that movie came out in subsequent interviews, Francis Ford Coppola has said that the reason that he cast somebody who wouldn't be very good in the role of Jonathan Harker is because he wanted the audience inherently to root for uh, Winona Ryder and Gary Oldman to get together. Like, because they instinctively don't like, for one reason or another, and in this case, like, for technical reasons, because they, they know he's not doing a good British accent and that he's not doing what the character requires, um, that instinctively they're going to want this to happen, even though society says this should happen. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I'd say that out loud because that's probably kind of – that's a little hurtful uh, to me. He has a history – Francis Ford Coppola is kind of a dick. Yeah. He – because didn't he – he said like stuff about De Niro and Pacino. Oh, that's right. That's right. And, I, we talked about that a while ago that uh, – Yeah. And Nicholson that just – you know, that they're not doing – they're not challenging themselves anymore. And there's an argument to be made for that but not by the director of Jack. Yeah, and he talks about. I'll let you get to Jack in a second. Okay. Another thing he does that always pisses me off is he's talked about when he makes the sort of like bigger movies like Jack or uh, The Rainmaker or yeah. even Dracula. Maybe it's so that he can fund his smaller movies that he wants to make. But it's like there are plenty of directors. You've got enough money. Yeah, there are plenty of directors out there. You know, I mean, Alexander Payne is making movies. Yeah, uh, that are personal and not hugely budgeted. What, well. Ooh, it's it's a it's a bullshit excuse to keep his I think to it is, fund his like winery or whatever. I don't I know. I think I think it's a, an excuse a little bit, but at the same time, considering that he like when he made Apocalypse Now and then he lost all his money on American Zo- like I feel like he has a history with working with studios that would allow, that I will allow him to get a little bit paranoid. But I, I you you excuse that excuse if you will. I think a lot a lot part a lot because you're a big Orson Welles fan. Yeah. And so you see that, yeah. but <laughs> this is not the 1940s and 50s anymore. There That's is true. a structure in place for independent, low-budget filmmaking. Yeah, and a person like Francis Ford Coppola could probably make any fucking film he wanted. That's true. I mean, I, I feel like uh, I feel like he may f- still think that it's like the late 70s, and like Godfather hasn't been voted one of the best movies of all time ever, uh-huh. and Apocalypse Now. And Godfather Part Two, and in my view, the conversation, and just like he's still living in like seventy eight, seventy nine, <laughs> when people are like, I don't know if we should fund this Apocalypse Now movie. It's like, no, 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 those movies have been widely viewed as masterpieces. Just make what you want to make; it's <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, but yes, uh, he did make Jack, and there is no, there is no reason. It, it's nothing about that movie. First off, nothing about that project required him to make it. I don't know. Whoever thought that he would be right for it, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, for those that don't know, Jack is about uh, a young boy who has this condition where he ages uh, four years for every one. Mm-hmm. All right. And he grows up into Robin Williams uh-huh. playing like a, you know, like a 12 year old or something like yeah, that. But very much in like Patch Adams mode, Robin Williams. Yeah. Not in insomnia mode or right the stuff that we like <laughs> yeah and it's just right because that because you could have turned that into like kind of almost a creepy uh really serious drama but it's well, it like I a mean, family comedy yeah and it's it's very much like patch adams where it's uh, it's just disgusting the way that it grabs onto your heartstrings or at least yeah. tries to it doesn't succeed neither yeah. one of those movies do it yanks on your heartstrings yeah whereas i mean certainly that story, the story of Jack, because that's a, a real thing. Yeah, that's sad, you know. And there would have been would have been a way to play it that would have been more 
sad. You yeah. know, if I was Think, somebody you know with what? that condition, I'd be like, "Hey, thanks for that." Appreciate yeah. It. Well, let me talk about Forrest Gump for a second. Okay. Because certainly that's not. I mean, Forrest Gump is uh, mentally handicapped. Yeah. And for certainly that movie is not the hardest hitting. You know, most. Uh, you know, verite look at right. at that ever, but it's also never insulting about it. It's no, not at all. You, uh, you get the sadness. You know, you, you. I think you're able to feel the full force of the the sadness of his condition. Yeah, but it's muted by the rest of the movie. And also, Whereas, it kind of takes the menta- it kind of takes the uh, the Elwood Dowd mentality of like, you know, if. If he wasn't like this, would you like, you know, if he was quote unquote normal like the rest of us, like, like the reason that he is such a wonderful person and such an interesting person is because of this, you know, like it kind of, it doesn't celebrate it. I mean, it acknowledges the sadness of it, but also says like he is a person just like anybody else. And this is what has been dealt with, dealt to him. And this is what he's doing with it. Great things, you know. Um, so I could see somebody being like too cynical to like Forrest Gump, but I, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are, yeah. but, um, it, but that's the, the point that I'm getting at is that Forrest Gump is never insulting right. to the mentally handicapped. Uh, whereas I think Jack is an insult to someone who would actually, uh, or the family members of someone who's actually gone through that because it's like, Oh, isn't it funny watching this middle-aged man learn about sex from his friends? Nah. That's that's a funny image, isn't it? Uh-huh. This tragic disease that's going to cause him to die way sooner than he's supposed to. Uh-huh. That's hilarious. Ugh. Ugh. No thank you. Okay, well, I've only got one more. Okay, go ahead. Do you have one more? I have several, but I'm going to cruise through them. Well, why don't you do that first? All right. I want to end on mine. All right. <laughs> thank you. It's a little selfish. Um, Steven Soderbergh does, does this a lot. Uh, I didn't see Ocean's 13. I actually heard it was not that bad. I hate Ocean's 12. I didn't see it. It is so, like I said before, it's it's so indulgent, not just of him, but of everybody. And I think I mentioned this before, that there's a part where Ju- uh, Julia Roberts' character uh, needs to, she goes undercover as Julia Roberts. Yeah. It's like, oh, I get it. You're so famous that even even characters you're playing have heard of you. That's awful. That's awful. So, Ocean's 12. Uh, some people like it. I'm not one of them. Robert Altman's Popeye. What? I should have mentioned Robert Altman. Uh, I've never seen Popeye, but I, I, don't like, uh, I don't like MASH one bit. And I don't it really like... Moments. And we've talked that I don't, don't really like Nashville either. But that's obviously not right. widely accepted. Well, and, and MASH <laughs> either, but I'm not a big fan of, of that myself. But, but you got to see Popeye. It's, you know, it's like... Uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. Oh, it's like uh, Death Proof. You watch Popeye, everything else gets better. Whether it's made by Altman, <laughs> maybe things in life get better when you see Popeye. Um, so there's that. Uh, we brought it. We brought it up before, and some would say he's not a great director, but uh, Red Belt uh, yeah. and David Mamet. I think I love Spanish Prisoner. I love State in Maine. I love The Winslow Boy. Do you love State in Maine? I really, I really like it. Uh, that's a movie that, like, sort of the. Uh, I, I also haven't seen State in Maine since we saw it in the theater together. Okay, uh, it's it's like how Unbreakable gets better in your mind. State in Maine keeps the more I think about it, keeps getting worse. Here's what happens: is watch it again. Different things have become funny to me now. Um, there's still like some of the some of the old standbys, but there's the uh, there's like the really obvious jokes, and then there's little things like. 
Phillips like Philip Seymour Hoffman is really is really funny in that movie. Just his little you know, uh, the straight man can be sometimes the funniest guy in the in the production, and I think Philip Seymour Hoffman is doing a lot of really. Funny I want stuff. him to be funny more in newer movies. He's sort of because he's really funny. Yeah, and he's funny. I mean, in Big Lebowski, in in Punch Drunk Love, he's funny in Charlie Wilson's War. I mean, his character is clearly saying funny things. Yeah, but he's, I mean, he's sarcastic and stuff. Yeah. I, I want him to be. I mean, I like that he's a great actor in the dramatic roles, too. I don't want him to stop doing that. But right. I just feel like it's sort of the opposite of the John C. Riley thing. It's like, John C. Riley, we know you're funny now. Can you do yeah. a few more, you know, dramatic roles? Because you were good at that, too. Yeah. And I feel like I want the, I want the opposite to happen at Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's like, take some funny roles, you know? <laughs> Stick with the good ones and or the dramatic ones and, and then do It'd some funny stuff, too. It'd be if those guys at the moment switched careers, <laughs> you know? Because uh, now that I think about it, John C. Riley would have been great in Doubt. Um, yeah. And Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been hilarious in Talladega Nights. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that? Oh, that would have worked out really well. Um, but yeah, uh, Mamet, that's the thing. Some people wouldn't consider him a great director. He's got, yeah, it's more than just Red Belt with me. Because I've never liked House of Games. And I do like House of Games. And I like Homicide as well. Um, and and I enjoy Heist. And uh, and I really Heist like Spartan. Fun. I love Spartan. So, Heist is a fun movie that yeah. you just, just don't think about it too hard. But I mean, when you think about, I mean, when you think about Red Belt, it's just so it's painful. It's just, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, uh, would you say Sam Raimi is a great director? Um, yeah. Okay. I think so. All right. Did you see Spider-Man 3? No. Okay. I saw uh, The Quick and the Dead. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. I forgot about that one. <laughs> that one does have, it's got Gene Hackman and that's fun. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man three, and th- I've heard you know about studio involvement and that sort of thing, and just. But at the same time, like, you know, and I could see something like Spider-Man. I could see the studio being like, whatever. Spider-Man sells itself. We don't need Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, and they said that I had heard that they said that you need to incorporate Venom. You've got to put it in there. And it's like, well, it's not really right for the role for the for the story that we're telling. It's like you got to put him in there. Everyone loves Venom. You got to put him in. And so. I've heard a lot about that, but it's just Spider-Man Three is just a just a train wreck. Um, but yes, Sam Raimi's great. I, I had to think about yeah. it for a second, but this is this is this is this is the guy who made Dark Man. Yeah, <laughs> and and a Simple Plan and Evil Dead and and I'm really looking forward to Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, it looks it looks like old school Raimi because it's just so so crazy. Yeah, so ridiculous. Yeah, it does I love it good. right down to the title. Uh, and then lastly, uh, it's. I like it more than some, but uh, Michael Mann's Miami Vice, uh, it's just, it's one of the, where I, I think it's okay, but when you compare it to his other films, like even Ali, you know, which has a lot of good stuff in it, yeah, but it's not great, but it's just, you know, when you compare it to his other films, you're like, what happened to Miami Vice? Like, it's just, it's a shame. Yeah, it's funny, we, we've talked about before how, how Manhunter, like, still a good film but uh, the a lot of the aesthetic qualities of it have become really dated yeah you know miami vice had that immediately like yeah it was like oh this movie obviously came out six months ago when i saw it <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah that's um, a that's a bad bad movie yeah and i just and it's a shame because there's a lot of potential in the characters in miami vice and all that and it's just and i find myself wondering if he was too close to the material or, or whatever the case may be it's just I don't know. It's a shame because I feel like that opportunity has now been squandered by the guy who actually created it. So I don't know. Kind of bummed me out when when that turned out to be. And like I said, I still like it 
better than most people, but it's still, I acknowledge it's still not that but great of a movie. The movie he made does not feel like a Michael Mann film at all. It doesn't... Yeah, it, it, there's a couple shots where you're like, oh, there, there he is. Oh, okay, that's over now. It's, it seems like, I don't know, Michael Mann doing like a like Banana Republic commercials or something like that. That's what that movie <laughs> feels like to me. It has like the aesthetic of Michael Mann, but there's any of his themes don't seem to... Yeah, or, or it's it's just, it's like like with Hitchcock, it's like with Birds, it's like a shadow of yeah. the real Michael Mann. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so you got one here. I just wanted to talk briefly about uh, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Okay. Um, which is by a director that I love. It's the guy who made uh, Farewell, My Concubine. His name okay. is Chen Kai Gi. Okay. Um, and he's a, he's a part of that whole school along with Zhang Yimou and yeah. uh, the guy who made The Blue Kite. Um, these Chinese directors who make these amazing films. Um, but then, uh, Chen Kaigi made, uh, an American film starring Heather Graham and Joseph Fiennes and it's called Killing Me Softly I, oh, and yeah. it is horrid. It's unbelievable. I, I don't understand. Uh, maybe he just wanted to make an American film. He just wanted to try cause it doesn't seem like a Chen Kaigi film at all. Yeah. It's this ridiculous, like just, uh, it, it's, it's. It's like a murder mystery love story uh, about mountain climbing, and it, it is—it's one of the worst films that I've ever seen in my life. I don't even know if it got a theatrical release. I can't I remember. It, I, I seem to because it came out on on DVD while I was working at Blockbuster. I seem to recall it just being straight to yeah, I think to market. I, I believe it was direct to market. I mean, you know the terms. I sure do. Look at you. Uh, yeah, uh, I just want it's. I wanted to save it for last because it's the saddest one on the list for me because I really, really like Chen Kaigi, and uh, I, I don't understand why he had to. If I mean, I understand there's a there's a desire, there's a there's a sort of pull to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of we've talked about it. Foreign filmmakers who have come to Hollywood, and some of the time we should talk about it again because that episode's not up anymore, and we can revisit that. <laughs> we should okay, <laughs> um, uh, but um. And there's been mixed results. Sometimes directors have come over here and made great movies like Fritz Lang did, you know, or sometimes you get a John Woo who comes over and completely loses himself in uh, the bullshit uh, of Hollywood movie making. And I feel like, sadly, it seems like that's what happened to Chen Kaigi. He just... uh, And this is all speculation. It it just makes me sad that he got lured over here uh, and with such a horrible script... And, and maybe it has to do with him directing people in, in uh, a language that he isn't yeah. comfortable in. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I don't know how well Chen Kaigi speaks English. Yeah. Uh, but it is among the worst films I've ever seen in my life. So go check it out. It's called Killing Me Softly. Yeah. What do people get out of this episode now that I think about it? It's like, <laughs> hey, go uh, if you happen to, if you ever see a movie called Q and A at your blockbuster, just uh, you know keep going. I think it gives them the chance to disagree with us. That's true. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> welcome, new listeners. <laughs> Screw you. Um, all right, well, that's that was called "Killing Me Softly." Yeah, Ugh. it's such a bad title too. Yeah. That's almost as bad as uh, <laughs> "Don't Double Cross the Ones You Love." Um, <clears throat> all right, so uh, okay, so you can always go to uh, David Still Lap. It's ridiculous. It, isn't it, it cracks me up the more I think about it because <laughs> obviously that's something you shouldn't do to the ones you love yeah but just the, even that you qualified the ones you love like no don't don't double cross people yeah. and why is that why is such a plain sentiment that is so obvious 
What are you going to get, get out of that in a song? What, what kind of song are you going to make that, out of that notion? That title is a lyric, and that's a lot of syllables. <laughs> and it's just, I will have to, you know what? I'm going to try and find it, download it, and I tell you what, if I can find it and download it, I will, I'll put it on an episode sometime in the near future, <laughs> okay. all right, because it is so awful. Um, but okay, so uh, so that was our uh, discussion of, of this topic. Uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, you can, uh, we do, I, I'm speaking mostly to new listeners right now. Uh, we do have a, uh, a forum on our uh, website, battleshippretension.com, in which you can discuss uh, this topic and uh, any others, um, and you can chime in. Uh, on uh, on this conversation, um, or you can email uh, David and I, David at battleshippretension.com, Tyler at battleshippretension.com, uh, and thank and by the way, good job everybody on switching over to those. Uh, I appreciate it. So um, it yeah. worked out very well. Um, yeah, from the old email address. Yeah, which I won't even mention now. No, don't do it. Um, <laughs> that was very urgent, David. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then you know, reiterating. Uh, go to the homepage at battleshippretension.com, click on the donate button, and donate through debit card or credit card, uh, $5, uh, and then we will, we will update you on the donation drive next week. So until then, uh, we'll get you next time. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.